0: Welcome back, Empowerers, for episode 29 of the Empowerment Session. This week, we've got a little treat for you. As you may already know, my co-host, Dina, hosts her own podcast, Dish with Dina, which is a holistic approach to the discussion of food and nutrition and its impact throughout our lives. She has interviewed a number of people on this subject, and this week, I am featured on her show. So sit back and enjoy as I share the entire recording from our interview.
1: Welcome back to our listeners to season three of the Dish with Dina podcast. You know, I meant to only be on hiatus for a few weeks, but sometimes you have to listen to what your body says, not your calendar. Yasmeen Coxum is my guest today and I couldn't be more excited as she and I have been friends for such a long time and have shared together some really pivotal moments in our lives, some of which we share in this episode. Yasmin and I also co host a podcast called The Empowerment Session, where we discuss our experiences and strategies in becoming entrepreneurs. Yasmin is from New York City, but her career as a business and academic English instructor has brought her to many places all over the world, including Japan, Turkey, Spain, and Germany. Her students love her energetic, motivational, and dynamic personality as much as I do. So sit back, enjoy the conversation, and let's dish. Welcome, Yasmin Coxum, to the Dish with Dina podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am super excited to have you. How's everything going with you right now?
0: It is going wonderfully, actually. I have had a really nice start to my new year. I
1: always start my episodes with some background information as far as who you are and how we met. So do you know, I, I'll share a little bit more as we're talking about other things that we've been involved with together. But do you mind giving our listeners a little bit of a history of how you and I came to meet each other?
0: Okay so well first of all I was I I was always in love with food since I was a kid food was very exciting to me um at, at the age of six i remember really loving scrambled eggs i could have been five i don't know and i really loved scrambled eggs and i asked my mother to tell me how to make them i asked her to um help me to make my own scrambled eggs when i was like five or six because i loved them so much and um when okay so i grew up uh uh, in the Bronx, in Bronx, New York. Okay. And um, my family is from the South. I mean, from Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. Um, so there's a bit of background there. Um, and, but my grandmother uh, was married to a Jamaican man. All right. And because of that, there was a lot of uh, like, j- like, as my my family would say, West Indian, okay, West Indian or Jamaican influence in the type of cuisine that my grandmother would make, as well as this like Southern kind mm-hmm. of soul food um, experience in terms of uh, the type of cooking. So, well, we both had similar interests in the publishing world, I know that, and in reinventing ourselves, Mm -hmm. okay? So we met each other at Ooh, a really long time ago, there was a a type of, I I don't remember the name exactly of this kind of organization where you could just, where there were different events where you could kind of meet up, kind of like pre-meet up, I believe anyway. And um, so there were different events and the event was with Pamela Mitchell, who is an author, um, of and basically an expert in the idea of re- career reinvention, and so both of us had that interest, and we were volunteering to sign people in so that we could attend this workshop. I believe we could attend for free if we volunteered to sign people in. I believe, and so since both of us, um, we have these types type of outgoing personalities, we signed up for this, and we were uh, you know uh, bringing people in. Signing them in, what what have you? And we started talking, and then we just clicked, and everything flowed from there. Just it just kind of like snowballed. Um, I remember that. I met you. You used to work at uh, Simon & Schuster, and I used to work at Time, Inc., which, you know, so they're right across the street from each other. And uh, so I remember that we met up and uh, we realized that we had so much in common. And, uh, you know, I thought that you were extremely resourceful in terms of what was going on, this, the the comings and goings of everything happening in the city trendy new things uh, that were happening. Um, we, You told me about a group called Some of the Girls. Um, and then I went on several different little outings with them, Halloween parties, hikes. Um, I was just trying a whole bunch of different things. And um, from there, uh, our friendship has developed through board meetings mm-hmm. uh, because we also are very... Um, Tapped into the idea of goal setting, making plans, um, you know, bringing our our goals to fruition. And so I really loved the group that you had going. I think at that time it was like a brunch, you would have like a brunch meeting once a month or once every other month um, with uh, like-minded women who got together, talked about, you know, just what was going on with life and with the aspirations and things of that nature. And, um, and I really, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, going attending those uh, little brunch and uh, kind of mastermind sessions. Um, And then you told me about your lovely blog um, dish with Dina. (laughs) And I remember, I mean, it had all these, like this colorful pictures of food and you know there was you with your you know your really uh nice way of kind of writing about the food experience and then I remember saying oh you you write very nicely or or, or, oh I really like your blog and you you had this type of um how do I describe it? It was, it was very humble, this humble type of thing, like, oh, come on, like this type (laughs) of thing. And I was like, you're a really good writer or something like that. And yeah, I mean, so, so here we are. I hope that was enough of an explanation, a background. That Uh,
1: was amazing. As you're talking, I mean, I have a giant grin on my face because I really feel like we, we started out in the beginning of time when things weren't maybe what they are now, like you're using certain words that we didn't know back then. We didn't know what a meetup was. We didn't know what a mastermind was, but yeah, we were in the beginning of all those things. And the fact that the fact that we crossed paths having come from somewhat of a, a media related profession at the time, and now we've somewhat followed those paths as well. And I'll let you explain a little bit more about, you know, who you are and what you do right now. And the, publishing discussion the writing discussion like we just really enjoy all things English and literature and productivity we had so much in common and as you're saying this now too I'm 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 kind of missing things a little bit that I used to do I used to read for pleasure and I don't and I don't now I feel like I read for school preparation or I mean you know productivity makes me all excited anyway so yes I love the self-help self-help books and the productivity books but back then I was reading more fiction because of my job. And for listeners, uh, just as an FYI, back in episode seven, when I am interviewing my friend Diana Franco, who is also from the publishing world, uh, we do talk about the board meetings and Pamela Mitchell, because that is really where it all began for me with understanding what it means to invest in yourself and really honor your true mission, your values, your role, your purpose in life, and not take no for an answer. She was very big on, as Yasmin just said, developing what was called a, a board of directors, which she defined as people in your life who can tell you what's what and, you know, kind of guide you in the direction that you might need to hear versus someone who might be a little bit closer to you who thinks you poop rainbows and won't tell you anything other than you're awesome at everything you do. And in addition to that, she very much encouraged us to have uh, brought in our circle and our network. So that was also something I think Yasmin, you and I took heed in as well, where we want to make sure we're interacting and getting involved with people outside of our own a cocoon because someone might know someone who could put us in touch with someone else and help us advance our goals and our objectives and next steps and vice versa. We might also be able to provide that for people we connect with as well. So I love, I love your recap in what feels like a very long time of having known each other, but of course, you and I are mere babies on this planet. So I'm very, very uh, glad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that I, I'm glad that I finally get a chance to interview you here because, as we will share, uh, Yasmin and I also have our own podcast, which we launched. Oh gosh, what was it last? Well, it was in July. July, yeah, yeah. I think July, yeah. June or July, June or July, June or July. (laughs) I was gonna say much like a lot of people, we we started a a pandemic podcast. Like, what should we do while we are sitting around, not working, and trying to figure out? Oh my god, (laughs) that's so funny that you're gonna call it pandemic podcast. We started a pandemic podcast. It is. It is not
0: about the pandemic, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, no. Exactly, it's not about the
1: pandemic. No, it's it's kind of like when you call like New Year's babies, like you know. No things were happening at the time that something, we were all on lockdown, we had to do something about it. So out of the pandemic, Yasmin and I birthed, we gave birth to a podcast that talks about uh, much like we were just recapped there talks about empowering ourselves. And it's pretty much a real time conversation of us just walking through what we were doing that week, what we were thinking about that week, things that we read articles that we share. So I highly recommend for anyone who's listening to this to please go check out, I'm going to plug it. Please go check out the empowerment session. Ooh, avail- <laughs> <laughs> available. Empower to- yourselves, empower ladies yourself.
0: and gentlemen. Yes. Enva- empower yourselves
1: mm-hmm. uh, available to you on most uh, I think most podcast pl- platforms across the universe at this point, I think we're almost everywhere. So Yasmin, let me dive back in to my normal interview questions here to start off, because this is a somewhat a food and nutrition based conversation. But I really wanted to tie in the profession I have now, which is as a registered dietitian, as you know, my own issues with food habits and the food memories that I have growing up in an immigrant household. I was a first generation Italian American my mom and dad were born in Italy and we lived in my grandparents home when I was very young so there was a lot of heavy interaction a lot of inviting you know huge amounts of people from our family at the time when I was young we had millions of people that would just show up to my grandma's house on any given Sunday and we would have large pasta feasts and then we also had certain holidays too that meant a lot to us and then also tying in uh, in addition to my current profession, but also uh, what I'm doing right now as an adjunct lecturer, one of the classes that I've shared with everybody who listens to this, and to you, you know this as well, Yasmin, is food society and health, where we talk about global food ways and cultural sensitivities and understanding, you know, the, the basics that present humans with how we establish our relationships with food and whether or not we realize we're doing it, how does that then affect our process into adulthood? Do we end up like I did eventually venturing into career of health and wellness because of my own health and food issues, or does it affect how we are working and whatever we're doing that is not necessarily food and nutrition related, but because we might have certain preferences or conditions that we're managing. So I'm fairly fascinated about finding out from you, Yasmin. Uh, to dive a little deeper and go a little further back in the timeline there of what are some of your earliest food memories? How did you grow up? Where did you grow up? What was the, the food ways there? If you don't mind sharing as much or as little as you want.
0: Um, There would be, you know, a combination of that. Yeah. Caribbean and down South, uh, you know, soul food. And um, I loved all of it. Okay. I mean, I remember my grandmother specifically saying, girl, you eat like a man because (laughs) I was, would be piling I would have a big bunch of food on my plate then I would go back to the pot and get another big plate of food and I was only like six or seven years old at that time I I, you know I distinctly remember loving to pile my plate and you know and, and that that everyone knew this about you know about me as as a kid and that did not change very much. <laughs> As I went into adulthood, I still, but now, of course, my taste is, is a lot wider in terms of the types of foods that I enjoyed. Um, Eating, uh, partly because, you know, I've lived um, in four other countries and experienced loads of other different cuisines and ways that people cook and decide to make things and, you know, have just been exposed really to a variety of different types of cuisine and, of course, living in New York City um, still I, you know, am constantly, um, you know, surrounded by lots of of different choices in terms of uh, places that I can go and experiment and see, you know, whether I'm in love with this particular restaurant and this style of food, et cetera. Now, I just want to share something else and um, how how things kind of uh, got to the point they are in terms of um, my eating style now. Mm -hmm. Um, So. In addition to this influence, this kind of Southern influence and, and Caribbean influence, that was mainly my grandmother. So I just want to clarify that. So when we would go to her house, this is the influence that we had. However, at my mother's house, now my parents met uh, in the Nation of Islam. I mean, they, they are, they, we're no longer part of it, et cetera. Okay. But they, when I was born, I was born, um, you know, around this time where the nation of Islam was really like hot and popping. Okay. Um, so that definitely dates me a bit here. So, um, You know, um, one of the things that is really heavily preached in the nation of Islam is not having an attachment to mm. a traditional Southern, um, down South soul food, okay? Like, especially a long time ago, it would be things that I consider super unhealthy, okay? Like, let's say chitlins, which are like the the guts of a pig, I believe. Mm. Um, And, you know, I mean, it's things that people would refer to as slave food, basically the same type of food that uh, was fed to um African Americans as slaves that just was kind of carried over okay so that's kind of the way that the Nation of Islam looked at um you know th- this type of cuisine right so basically from a young age and since there was that influence um you know from my mother um we did not have a lot of white uh flour products in in the house. we had none <laughs> we had none is really what i'm trying to say so you know from a from basically birth. (laughs) I was, um, always eating, you know, whole wheat, this whole wheat, that my birthday cakes were whole wheat. They were super delicious though. Like the frosting once they were all done up, but they were made, they were whole wheat flour based. Um, and, Uh, In addition, you know, I had never eaten pork. I mean, and I I still, well, I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, mistakenly, I think some things were snuck into a (laughs) couple of meals and I promptly spit them out with disgust, but I, um, you know, I never really ate, I never ate pork. Um, And then there came a time when um, my mother made a decision when I was about, I want to say seven or eight. Um, I believe I was about seven when she made the decision to, for us to no longer eat red meat. And she said, you know, I'm not, Making any red meat anymore. So I was seven, which meant, okay, great. I mean, I'm not going to then start trying to figure out how to make my own hamburgers. I didn't really care about it that much, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, as long as I was happy with whatever was being served. And, you know, I loved food in general. So I wasn't really, you know, tripping off of that as as a seven year old. So that's how the journey began of really experimenting with a lot of different types of eating styles in terms of vegetarianism. Um, Because first, meat was cut. And then as a result of that, we were experiment, my mother, not we, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was eating it. So I consider myself experimenting as well, but right. she was making it um, with a long, this was again, a long time ago, everybody. Um, uh, soy, soy this, soy that, mm-hmm. uh, soy burgers, uh, you know, and all of these other like kind of health nut type of things like um, almond, almond butter and you know all these these different things different combinations of things that are now considered the norm but back then when I was seven or eight it was like some new stuff I mean people weren't (laughs) really talking about that as much so when I would go to school and have like a sandwich like you know my mother would very nicely make um, lunch for me Um, usually I had something packed okay so Um, I I believe there was one point where I had like some kind of like syrup and almond butter sandwich thing. Like instead of regular like peanut butter and jelly or something, I had like almond butter and some kind of special syrup. I don't know. But I remember the almond butter and some kind of syrup. Okay, And then I remember that somebody was like, oh, what, what are you eating? And I said whatever it was. And then I remember the girl repeating. Almond syrup and almond butter. Almond syrup and almond butter. <laughs> but I don't think it was almond syrup, but I remember this little tune that she started to sing about this different sandwich that I had. So anyway... um Needless to say, because of, of eating things again, like bean pies, uh, were, you know, were popular, um, and bean soups and, you know, things of this nature and, um, experimenting with soy, everything back in the day, my mother then said, okay, we're just going to be vegetarian. We're not going to have any more chicken or anything. Mm -hmm. So at some point I was then vegetarian, uh, for a bit, but then, um, I ended up going away to high school. So I went to a boarding high school in Massachusetts. Um, And at that point, you know, I was 14 away from home. I, you know, I mean, I didn't have like cooking skills or anything like that. And it just was kind of a little difficult to maneuver you know, uh, and I was not used to um, having to eat uh, food that wasn't home cooked. you know what I mean? Like I was not used to that, to having to eat whatever was at the cafeteria. I couldn't deal with the, it wasn't as much variety available to me um, for the vegetarian diet that I had become accustomed to. So I ended up going back to red meat all the way back. So it's like I had stopped eating red meat at the age of seven I think I said about seven. Right. Um, and then I was now 14 and faced with, okay, I don't know really what to do here and I need to, you know, eat and blah blah. So then I slipped back and was eating uh red meat for a bit until I got more familiar with, you know, what I could eat in the area, et cetera. And I was like, okay, and something I do not remember. At this point, exactly what it was, but something made me say, "I don't want to be on this red meat meat cake. I'm going back to my vegetarianism." (laughs) Like, and so I did that. And I I think I was maybe 15 or 16 when I made that. Just when I said, "No, I'm going back," and I never looked back after that. I never looked back. (laughs) Um, I've been a pescatarian because Mm -hmm. I did feel like I wanted to have. Seafood in my diet. I felt like I wanted that level of variety. Uh, there might be other, I could keep going on for quite <laughs> some time and tell you about all the different other diets I've tried and things I've tried, but I, let me give you an opportunity to comment or ask me
1: some <laughs> questions. <laughs> we most likely will definitely be getting into that because, as you know, Yasmin, anytime I listen to anything we're talking about, whether it's during my podcast or when you and I do our podcast episodes, you know, I take a ton of notes. So that's exactly what I'm doing right now. And I think I find some commonalities. I'm also remembering things that I discussed in class with my students. So for my students who might be listening to this, the things that Yasmin is talking about in her earlier childhood and from also where her family had grown up, is it fair to say we could potentially label or categorize that Yasmin as Afro-Caribbean? And then soul food is the other thing I wrote down as well, which you Mm -hmm. you definitely said, because Jamaica- And southern, mm-hmm. and the integrate, mm-hmm. and then the fact about like slave food too comes up a lot as well of how we integrate, mm-hmm. you know how, uh, whatever was not only fed to the slaves but also some of the like possible indigenous crops that also were brought over by the slaves that then were incorporated, which I believe things like um, okra and things like that I think might be uh, with traditional roots in. Uh, Africa. I could be wrong about that. So there were certain well, th- like ingredients that passed I, over in some okay. way. I'm, I, I definitely
0: know that okra is a thing in terms of um, Egypt. <laughs> Egypt. Right, <laughs> um, right. Because my past partner was part Egyptian, and so. But they call it Bamia, and so, and my when I started making, I was making an okra dish, and I remember him saying, "Oh, is that Bamia?" And uh, of course, I'm like, "Dude, I don't know what language that is. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what you're calling it, but uh, yeah, it's okra." So, yeah, and so then it became clear to me that oh, this is something that I mean, at least in you know, in Egyptian culture yeah. that is 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 made. It's a staple food, <laughs> and as
1: yeah. I as I usually do, thank goodness, I have a very quiet keyboard, so if you can't hear me typing away, I tend to. Fast check live while i'm talking about these things so excellent you're correct <laughs> um it also says the geographical origin of okra may be disputed with some people saying it started in west africa ethiopia south asian mm. origins and like you said mm. with egypt so but definitely on that side of the world and so i think it migrated to here and we use it in mm. like the gumbo dishes and a lot of african uh, culturally african type of dishes too i think we see that as well if i'm if i remember correctly from yeah the recipes yeah. and yeah, then
0: now oh sorry yeah, no, now that okay. you mention it um um, when I when I had my first Ethiopian dish, I, I, I feel like I remember having some okra in an Ethiopian um, dish that I, I, I feel like definitely that's part of, mm-hmm. of that type of cuisine. Okay, so mm-hmm. please continue. And then
1: <laughs> what you said about chitlins, which is the oh, large intestines of pig or <laughs> cattle or whatever it is, there's some other animals, we... In Italian culture, we have tripe or tripe, which is exactly kind of the same thing the lining from the the stomachs of various farm animals. I would be completely turned off by it because I just didn't understand what that was. I didn't like our version of eel, I didn't like our version of anchovies. Like, I was very turned off by a lot of weird things that I thought were like hairy and slimy and so on. And I've eventually learned to try certain things, but I think as we age as well, we're allowed to make the decisions of what we want to eat and not want to eat. So, I think it's kind of interesting that even back then, when you were younger, there were certain things that you were like, I would probably not want to do that. And then as you progress into your high school years, it was almost like you were forced to accommodate whatever was being offered to you in the cafeteria, but knowing that your your body was telling you, eh, not so much for me, that you um, decided to make some changes there. And I think that is also kind of an interesting discussion to have. Well, maybe not so much because of the pandemic and a lot of people being uh, remote learning and remote teaching, but campus eating, campus culture, you know, how people end up accommodating their, not only their food preferences, but any allergies that they have, any cultural, traditional foods that they want to eat. M- when You just walk onto a campus, whether you're living there as a resident or you're a commuter, and not really having a ton of options, especially if, you know, obviously the campus might just offer a salad station and a pizza station. So there's not a lot of discussion there of how do we broaden what was offered here. That does put people in a position of like, oh, man, I don't really have a ton to eat. So now, like you did, do I switch to just eating meat? Because that's what's offered here, even though I've never really eaten meat. And now I'm suffering the consequences of my body's just kind of rejecting this, or it's not making me feel so great. So how how, can you walk us through a little bit about that, that process too? just take us back? Did you end up being able to find things while you were in school, if you can remember what was going on there? Or did you end up, you know, creating anything? uh, Did you have like a, a dorm area that you were able to cook things and make things for yourself or shop and cook for yourself or have food sent to you since you were obviously you know out of state
0: are we going back to high, high school, school or, ref- or, or oh okay because yeah. college was also okay yeah. so um okay but okay so high school I guess we can uh, start there yeah because um, you're young
1: like you I wouldn't think oh you don't have like a car to drive to the supermarket right, and so on sure. so how did that how did that work out um I think I mean
0: yeah I just in I just said okay I'm not going to have you know I mean it did really what was really popular was um a place called King Subs okay this was in Andover <laughs> Massachusetts and it was a place called King Subs okay there there was there and then there was something brothers I can't remember and from there that's where I was getting these like Philly cheese steak mm-hmm. with peppers bup up up stuff <laughs> like that Again, I I really, honestly, I can't even tell you (laughs) what switch went off in my mind where I said, I'm not going to eat any more red meat. I just want to go back to what I was doing or any meat in general. I'm going to go back to what I was doing because at some point I was from King Subs, I think having chicken fingers with fries or, you know, this type of thing. And then I was just, I mean, I'm going to be honest here as a young teenager, like that vegetarianism to me you know, I wasn't very educated in terms of mm. what to do with that. And so I really, now that I look back on it, mm. I mean, um, I was eating a lot of fatty things. I mean, I had a lot of dairy stuff. I, you know, I would have like cheese pizza right. from King Subs, you know, with peppers maybe or something, you know, some kind of vegetarian vegetables on it, but I would have that. And I would, you know, I remember um, having quite a bit of dairy or, you know, like uh, some pasta stuff here or there Um you know, uh, again, I was big on eggs and no, to answer your question in the dorms there, we, I think we just had a microwave. If I remember properly, it was a micro, I mean, you know, we're 14 to 17 or 18. I mean, you know, we're not, and we're having a very rigorous, um, academic as well as extracurricular, um, situation. So, you know, nobody's expecting you even to have, even if there were kitchen facilities <laughs> for somebody to be cooking. And so it was like, yes, I would get care packages of, you know, certain things sent to me, but whatever could be something microwavable, for example, you know, it was discovered that I really enjoyed instant oatmeal. And so it'd be like, great, I can do instant oatmeal or, you know, Things that are now, as I look back again, not so healthy, like, okay, I'm going to have ramen noodles, Mm -hmm. (laughs) instant uh, oatmeal, you know, just having like bunches of that available for, you know, snacky times or whatever it was. And again, even at that time, it wasn't permeated into society the way it is now, all of these healthy types of snacks that you can indulge in you know, I mean, goji berries, I don't think anyone ever heard of that, you know, <laughs> when I was in high right. school. So it's like, that's Quinoa. really what I was doing. Right. I mean, Quinoa wasn't on. invented. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And so I really, when I think about it now, it's kind of was like a lot of fatty and not really that nutritious mm-hmm. stuff. So when I would come back, you know, to the Bronx, where my family is, um, then I would get excited about, you know, being able to eat, um, you know, like rice and beans and like salt fish and like, you know, um, a lot of my uh, the ethnic foods or the, you know, the healthy types of foods that I grew up eating. And so the answer, I guess, in general is no, I didn't really fe- um, find a healthy solution, but mm-hmm. I did find a solution where I just was cutting out meat. Like that was basically, <laughs> that was basically what I was doing at that point for high school, but college, you know, when you were saying that, talking about campus stuff, you know, I was thinking, wow. Well, now college was a different animal because I went to college in the Bay Area uh, in California, and so they they're Whole different. Cali- mm-hmm. Yeah, California is really. I mean, people know that. I mean, they're known for having like a, just an entire different attitude when it comes to health and fitness and working out and all that kind of stuff. Is what I. Um, discovered when I was there. Um, you know, you go into the gym there, the membership was like, I think $20. This was a long time ago, mm-hmm. but it was like $20 a month or something. And then like a couple of years later, I come to New York and they're like, oh, it's a hundred. And I'm like, what? I was like shocked when I was hearing the prices of a gym membership in New York in comparison to California. And so, it, you know, I was like, okay. I mean, it just really shine the light on Mm -hmm. the differences in terms of health attitude. I'll just say that. So on campus in Oakland, California, where I went to, to college, I was just in heaven in terms of the choices there. The salad bar was the most incredible place ever. There were so many awesome vegetables of different colors and different stuff. I hadn't even tried because I didn't even know what guacamole was. I'm going to be quite frank because here at that time here on the East Coast, it wasn't that popular stuff mm-hmm. like Mexican food and stuff that actually was not that popular yet. Now it's again, oh, yeah. everything has shifted. But back when I was um, going to college, I, I'm, I had never heard of guacamole. I had no idea what that was until I went to the West coast. And I was like, what is this heavenly stuff? And then like, and it just, so even if whatever they were serving, you know, behind the you know, we had the, of course, the big, we had a huge salad bar. I did go to a private college. So um, there was more money, I think, kind of invested in making sure yeah. that, you know, things were up to par, facility-wide, all of that kind of stuff, um, you know, because there were only, there were like under a thousand people or maybe about a thousand or so people that attended, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the school. Even if you didn't like what was being the hot food being served behind the um, the counter or whatever, um the salad bar I could go crazy on I I mean beans I mean I was eating so healthily as a college student and working out all the time and just outdoors and really just living my healthy dream out there so that's what I have to say about (laughs) camp campus stuff and the comparison and what was going on there
1: no I, I really feel like as we As I speak to a variety of different people in these episodes and from people who I know who text me after listening to these episodes, there's so much that resonates with everybody. Like we all can either pick up different things that feel very similar to our own experiences or, oh my gosh, if only I wish I knew, like you were saying with guacamole and I had this story about how I didn't even know what a bagel was until I was about 20 because (laughs) My parents didn't (laughs) eat like that. Oh, my God. I was sent to school. I was sent to school in high school with, like, you know, a greasy bag of last night's dinner. And... I would have, and I I mean twenty is pushing. I'm just making that up. I'm, but it definitely yeah, yeah, it definitely yeah, was yeah. my older teenage years where we ventured off campus from high school to go to the pizzeria across the street or to go have, you know, whatever the food at the deli was. I really didn't purchase food outside of my home when I was younger. Like I didn't know what outside foods were. So I find a lot of similarities in your in your um in your history there as well. Uh just as an FYI, Yasmin, I regret to inform you that um King's Subs is permanently closed, is is not survive the pandemic unfortunately so wait how do you know, i'm looking you things up this? i look things up while people oh, talk okay i what i do live they're no longer if, they're no longer if i have the oh, right it? address it's 11 bartlett street andover massachusetts rest in peace <gasps> rest in peace king subs no i know i'm sorry in case you ever, wanted, <laughs> <laughs> in case you ever want to go back um <laughs> it, it originally said that they were closed for dine-in and takeout only but now it is permanently closed so i think they made it through up until you know pandemic times so i don't have anything else on them just fyi for anyone else who's listening who wants to go that, and also just to, to <laughs> i like to share info and then also to go back nation of islam as people might understand islam muslim halal like those are interchangeable words sometimes so yes there are uh leanings even though their meats and certain meats and fish are permissible the ideal diet is vegetarian and that there are all definitely some foods that are completely prohibited and things like tobacco and alcohol and so on so just as an fyi to anyone who's not aware is it the same thing is it not the same thing it's not necessarily the same thing but it's Definitely has um, components of traditional Islam with some uh, Black nationalist ideas as well. So that's right. Just integrated in that. Um, Okay. So let me now flash forward a little bit because the thing that I love about this is the fact that you really feel, I feel like, whether directly or indirectly, you've touched across many of the corners of America. And now in your more professional career, as you're becoming, I guess, directed into what you are currently doing now, you've trend you know, you've traveled the globe. And I want to hear a little bit more, if you don't mind sharing with that, from understanding where you were in the Bronx, then going to Massachusetts, and then having the roots in Alabama and Jamaica, and then going out to California, and then all of your um, European and other travel, Japan, etc., over other travels, tell us a little bit about how food your food preferences also might have played a role in when you were going out to do that stuff and then obviously you know give a little bit of an introduction of what you what you do that brought you into those other worlds into those other lands so for the past well not the past but for 12 years
0: um I have been what you would call an ESL professional. So uh, teaching English as a second language. So there's a million acronyms at this point for this profession. So when I first started out, um, the common term was just ESL. So teaching English as a second language. But what that really means is teaching English to uh, people really who are, who have come to the U.S. um, from another country to learn English, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, Then we have EFL, which is English as a foreign language. So with that idea is that I am transporting myself to another country where their language, you know, they they have their native language and they are taking English as a foreign language because it is foreign to their country, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And now, you know, there's all sorts of like English as a new language, okay, because the idea is that We people have realized it's a multilingual society in general. So the English might not necessarily be a second language, but it could be a third language that they're learning. Maybe first they, you know, they initially spoke Italian, then they learned Spanish and now they're learning English. And so it's not really English as a second language, but English as a new language. Okay, so there's lots of ways to kind of look at this uh, in that uh, language acquisition prism. Um, But this is basically the profession. Okay. And so really um, I started off in uh, Tokyo, Japan, and this uh, wasn't necessarily an aspiration of mine to become a teacher. Mm -hmm. So the aspiration in going to Japan was just to experience another country because I had never lived in another country. That's really the bottom line. I wanted to know what was out there. What's different? How are other people living day to day? What is a like, I I just wanted an entirely new and different experience. Okay. And I most certainly got that. um, But more, I got more because I learned how much I really liked uh, and valued English, you know, my knowledge of English and being able to teach that and share that and have people light up and get excited. When I returned to New York, Um, I did go back into the profession of publishing for a bit. And then I still was yearning more for the autonomy and um, kind of what it brought out of me to be able to teach. And so I started teaching uh, at some language schools here, et cetera. And then I got the itch again to move abroad um, and and teach there. And so I ended up teaching in Turkey. uh, And then after that... I was back to New York for a bit before the itch came upon me again. And I decided to move to Germany um, kind of with my eyes closed. It was kind of like, I was like, well, I know that they need um, people to teach. Because by this time, I had actually switched to more of a specialty of business English. And so I knew for sure through my readings, I mean, through lots of research, et cetera, that they... Um, that business English was like a big thing uh, in Germany, particularly in Berlin. I just kind of picked up and went there. Just with a strong feeling that I would be able to find work, (laughs) knowing that I had lots of experience uh, teaching at that point. And uh, luckily it did work out and I was able to, um, you know, sustain myself and be employed and meet wonderful and amazing people and just have a really uh, great time, both personally and professionally there. Um, And then this, my whole living abroad thing kind of culminated with me getting my master's degree. And applied linguistics and language acquisition in barcelona mm-hmm. spain um so that spans i guess if, if we want to connect this to food so that has now spanned from like japanese uh, cuisine and learning so much more about that than i ever knew as an american because here in america especially being in new york okay we have every type of cuisine known to man here but how authentic is it really um you know, just, just uh, what, the only thing I knew about Japanese cuisine was sushi and sake. Okay. (laughs) And uh, I knew that I loved both of those things. And I was like, great, I'll be fine in in Japan, because I love those things. (laughs) And so that was certainly important to me before I was going to certain places, you know, because I'm such a foodie, I would check out what is the, what's the cuisine like here? Like, you know, how friendly is it for vegetarians? And Um, when I, you know, so I knew off the bat that Tokyo was going to be fine because if anything, I could survive off of sushi and sake. So, but when I got there, I realized that there were so many other cultural dishes that I knew nothing about because those are not really Mm here or they weren't promoting, you know, like for, for example, okonomiyaki, which is, or okonomiyaki. Okay. And my Japanese is rusty as hell. So, um, (laughs) Yeah, it's okonomiyaki, okay, which is um, like a Japanese-style omelet, but just filled with these awesome things, like, just not made like anything that you've basically tasted here in America, and it's like awesome like Japanese vegetables and fresh seafood and just amazing type of sauce. And these like, I mean, it just, it was so amazing. Now my mouth is watering like, Oh my God, I miss this so much.
1: And, um, (laughs) <laughs> and I'm so um, hungry right now <laughs> well that's what you get for hosting was, a
0: food and food discussion podcast. I was saying, let's okay. pause the podcast
1: let me go grab a bite
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and just like um and then you know I would learn these things from my Japanese students like oh have you ever had takoyaki mm. and of course I don't know these things takoyaki uh is actually like a ball of um it's like a fried octopus ball, like a fried right. ball of with octopus, kind of like a nice little uh, kind of breading inside of that, but just a really tasty little ball, octopus, fried octopus ball. It's totally awesome. I mean, and so I learned so much about, you know, different um, authentic Japanese foods, foods that I had no idea about um, here in America. And Um, so then the next thing was Turkey. And so I looked up, you know, like the type of food uh, and, and, you know, and I said, okay, actually what happened before I went to Turkey is that I had this really awesome, uh, Turkish coworker. Um, who took me to a restaurant, I believe it was a coworker, because I I feel like a student also took me Mm -hmm. to some kind of Turkish restaurant. But anyway, because they knew I was going to Turkey, and they were like, Oh, there's a Turkish restaurant, you can kind of get a taste of, you know, the Turkish cuisine here at this, this restaurant in New York. And I was like, Oh, this is quite tasty, you know, etc. So I said, Okay, you know, maybe I'll be able to be okay. However, Turkey... I feel like out of all the places was like the least friendly for me mm. in terms of my diet, um, particularly because of where I was. I was in the capital of Turkey, Ankara, okay. not in Istanbul, which was had a bit more of an international flavor. And so, yeah, it was a really small little town where my university was. Cause I lived on the university campus as a, as a professor there or as a yeah. Yeah. uh as an instructor there and um so the choice uh because the mainly the turkish cuisine was filled with meat filled with like meat greasy meat meat with grease dripping off of it okay meat and big slices of meat and then like lots of cheese I am and crying. lots of yogurt mm-hmm. and lots of bread and just a really, really meat kebab and just meat, meat based. Okay. And so for me, I was kind of like, oh my goodness, it was like kind of a vegetarian person's nightmare. Um, but of course, um, you know, there's a kitchen, there's always pots right. and pans. Okay. And so, but even the choice of vegetables there I found were very limited Um, in the supermarkets. I was like, okay, you know, it just wasn't as bountiful in terms of the vegetable choices, Mm -hmm. because that's not the main Mm -hmm. thing. That's not their main thing. (laughs) So, and that's fine. I mean, I'm not, you know, saying anything negative about, you know, their, their cultural cuisine, just in the sense that for me, as a vegetarian, um, you know, it was, wasn't was uh, the best for me. So, you know, I ended up there. My go-to when I didn't want to cook was this delicious uh, vegetarian pizza, which I did find. But it was like those people knew me like the back right. of their hand because I would be like ordering vegetarian. Oh, let me get the small vegetarian. Da-da-da-da. They knew sometimes what I was about to order. You know, it's like, yep, it's me again. And give me that
1: vegetarian pizza,
0: please. Right. <laughs> on over and um your staple diet your staple diet yes i want to chime in
1: for one sec because what you're talking about with just as an fyi for anyone listening to this that obviously yes turkey does lie on the uh mediterranean sea and the black sea if i'm not mistaken i'm actually looking this up right now so there there is waterways around it however much like my parents um hometown in italy while again you would think oh the mediterranean diet must be quite prevalent no because ankara is kind of like inland about a a couple hours like inland from the nearest coast so you're not going to find fish and leafy greens you're going to find more inland things like dairy and meat products in there if I'm not mistaken much like in my parents hometown which is I think it's two hours kind of centrally located from either um, coast of Italy and that is primarily their food culture they have to get fish and Produce, you know, carted in from one of the other near nearby uh, neighboring towns. So I totally understand that because when I'm thinking Turkish food, I'm thinking what it's Mediterranean. But you're you're making a ton of sense. It's like well, not everywhere in Turkey is Mediterranean because it depends on the region, yeah. right? Um, but but I do I, the
0: redeeming thing about it is that I, I went to Bodrum, I you know I went to some other places, and that definitely in Ankara there were these amazing fish restaurants so there were some fresh fish restaurants but like few and far between and you know since I lived kind of like away from the so-called downtown area it wasn't easy for me to necessarily get to that you know but they did but definitely when I went to Boldrum okay amazing seafood restaurants just my mouth of water is now thinking about, and then they do have mesa mesa, yeah. Mm-hmm. So these are the mm-hmm. yeah the little uh like vegetarian little vegetable ish mm-hmm. or you know little side
1: things that you can
0: right. Get, that would be um, kind of the along with the fish. Say, that would be mm-hmm. kind of
1: the the comparison to tapas or right yeah, antipasto, yeah. like all of these little tiny yeah. side dishes that you would have. Yes, right. So yes. every cult, again, every it's so interesting to watch every culture somehow. Uh, relate to a different a different place as well like I can definitely say oh my ravioli is your empanada or whatever like we can we can kind of have understandings of what I can describe things to people if I'm trying to describe the the food ways of that so I love oh that's it oh see now you got me hungry for Japanese and now you're getting hung- me hungry for like falafel <laughs> and stuff like what the heck I'm starving all right hurry up and finish your your story because I got to get off and eat <laughs>
0: Um yeah of course uh, just to 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 wrap up my little journey mm. around the world with the food is uh next was Germany I was super concerned about that um although I was already gung ho about going okay and you know had studied the language in, intensely and just went to different events here in New York to prep myself um you know I was really concerned because from what I understood again it was like currywurst, which is, you know, the sausage right. is all about like the meat, like mm-hmm. sausage and yeah, like all of this. And however, Berlin is like a microcosm, like a it's kind of like the New York right. of uh, of Germany. And so it's like New York is kind of like no other place really in America in terms of Of you know what's available here, variety wise, and it was like that in Berlin as well. And you know, at first, uh, somebody was like, "Oh yeah, well, if you're going to go to Germany as a vegetarian, you're it's going to be really difficult for you." Blah blah blah. But then, when I had narrowed it down to Berlin, people were like, "Oh my!" Like somebody who uh, directly had lived there, an American I was speaking to had who had lived there was like, you will be in heaven in terms of being a vegetarian if you go to Berlin. Berlin is the ideal place for a vegetarian, a vegan, whatever. And I was like, really? Like, I was kind of incredulous. But she was definitely telling me the truth about that. I mean, like, I feel like I stepped, when I stepped off of my first, like, Mm -hmm. train, you know, I took the train to go to my language school and I stepped off of the train and I was like... Here we go, vegan um, vegan and, and vegetarian burgers. Um, just everywhere you go, there's there, you know some kind of vegan restaurant, vegan. Vietnamese was super popular there Um, but then of course again the halal situation was super popular there as well so it's like this excellent um, falafel these excellent dishes that I was I mean that was really I want to say like a (laughs) vegetarian person Mm -hmm. seven was being Mm -hmm. in Berlin for sure and then um, to go to to Spain um, well of course in Barcelona so much amazing uh, you know. Seafood and all kinds of really—I mean, the paella is what I'm really thinking about right now. There we go with the with the mouth-watering stuff, and um, you know, but lots uh, lots of choices there. And Barcelona is pretty international. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to say not as ahead of the game by any means as Berlin in terms of their food game, Uh, in terms of their like vegetarian and like you know health food game. um, They were still. Pretty behind Berlin, but still, you know, definitely, I didn't have any problems trying to find things to to eat there. And so, yeah, there goes my culinary
1: travel. Mm-hmm. I was going to say you there really took us on a culinary world tour. I- <laughs> I said before I got hungry for Japanese then you started talking about Turkish food and now all of a sudden I'm thinking should I just I mean it is New York City where I live can I just order one of everything from all the restaurants <laughs> and do like an international potluck smorgasbord lunch slash dinner feast and um, I, I'm thinking it's too bad it's too a bad pandemic. It's pandemic
0: time because I would <laughs> I love to say, be invited to that girl. Just...
1: I would love See to what be happens? invited. When you're friends with somebody; they know what's <laughs> in your brain. I was just about to say, "Too bad it's the tent pandemic," because I would invite you over <laughs> and have you pick all the things. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the German, the German food, uh, traditional food things, and obviously, you know, we think of like potato salad and, like you said, the bratwurst and all of the sausages and so on. But the, it really does depend on the region, and that's pros and cons. It's pros mm-hmm. and cons. So if you have, like you said, a microcosm of uh, many cultures or a more um I guess like more modern approach to fusion foods and, and wherever you're living or, or working at has the ability to offer up to you a little bit of everything versus something like I keep calling back to my trip to my parents' hometown where I was like, can I please have a salad? Like one day, it just, (laughs) it just never, I mean, they were, I swear, yes, when my aunt. When my, I was staying with my aunt and when she found out I was vegetarian, it was, she was hard pressed to do something. So she kept just giving me potatoes all the time. And I was like, I can't eat potatoes. I don't want to eat potatoes all the time. Like my stomach is killing me. I want something else. Um, so I was living on like, you know, eggs and potatoes while I was there because that, that was it. They would, they would offer a pasta obviously too, but like, there's only so many like refined carbs a person can eat or even complex carbs. Like we were saying before, um, with you, you know, with bean pies and all that, like after a while, it's like, it's a little too much on the stomach with all this, this heaviness and the fiber and all that jazz. So it's a, it's an interesting road to take. And I do appreciate the fact that you, much like me, you know, we're, we're fairly, we're flexitarians as I like to say sometimes, like I don't necessarily deny myself of things that I might crave, but I definitely understand my body enough to know what works and what doesn't work. And that really is the challenge that sometimes people in my profession have with working with people with certain food issues or with certain chronic conditions is that every single person is completely different, not just in their biochemical makeup as a human, but also based on years and years and years of how they grew up, whether it was uh, food forced upon them or food denied and restricted or the way that they grew up Eating certain portions and foods, and now they're being told you know cut back on your rice and eat whole grains so it's really a, a tricky thing I think for healthcare providers to understand how to really take an individualized approach with people and not just constantly slap on the you know general guidelines of uh, two to five servings of whatever a day and then send them on their merry way like we really need right we really need to get to know people um so I'm definitely not letting you go. I mean, I was half joking about get off, get off the podcast and let me go eat. But I want to find out from you now to tell us a little bit more about a current day in the life of you, because obviously what you do to me is very fascinating. And the fact that you took us on this whole journey where you physically were going places, but now in a more remote setting, how have things changed for you? What is a current day in the life or a typical day in the life? And I know, I kind of know the answer that you and I don't really have a a quote unquote typical day. Uh, We also have some, entrepreneurship, uh, threads running through our, our, our body, our blood running through our bodies as well. So can you share with us a little bit too about this, your current interests? Let us know a little bit about who you are in that respect.
0: Um, I'm teaching at Long Island
1: University,
0: um, as an adjunct, uh, adjunct faculty there in their intensive English program. And so intensive It most certainly is. So when we say intensive, what we mean is that it's every day. Like Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's not like they're just taking a class two days a week or something like that. The idea is that Monday through Thursday from either, you know, they can decide if they want to take classes in the morning or if they want to take classes in the evening. So uh, you know, it would be either 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. or 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. basically. Okay. And so um, I teach uh, a bit in the morning. Well, I teach the 9 to 1 p.m. slot. And then I also have a class later, later in the evening from 10, 8 to 10. Now, that wouldn't have been possible for me, or I, I wouldn't have wanted sure. to do it Um, if it had not been for the the current remote circumstances first of all because it is the brooklyn campus and um there's you know i i I wouldn't have Mm. um wanted to do any type of traveling, uh, that late at night, like that, just, I don't live in Brooklyn. So that definitely wouldn't have, uh, worked out for me. So this is, this has been advantageous for me to be able to accept, um, you know, those extra hours of work in the evening. What does my day look like? So now that it is remote, um, you know, I have to, I, you know, I, I'm a very regimented person. Um, Like, I really enjoy having some type of routine around work, around working, and my personal interests and in kind of trying to integrate everything. I had to kind of figure out what that was going to look like now that I wasn't going to have to commute to work. Mm. And so... I am a big and avid um, Miracle Morning practitioner. So uh, what does that mean? Well, um, the Miracle Morning has basically six components that are called savers. And so it's silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, um, reading, and scribing, okay? And so I... Uh, definitely have been doing that. Okay. Um, so I wake up about six 30 and I do all of those savers. Well, the exercise I actually leave, I don't do it necessarily right. in that order. I, once I do, I do everything and then I take a shower usually, or, you know, if I've showered the night before I'll do, you know, wash my face, et cetera um, and freshen myself up so that I can then exercise. So the exercise is actually the last part. Cause I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to, you know, whatever, get the, get the water to, to mm-hmm. freshen myself up and get ready to do my little, my exercise. And so by around, you know, eight, eight thirty, depending on how I've been moving, if it's been fast or slow, or if I've spent more time doing one or two of the savers than I normally do, so between eight and eight thirty, I'm finished with that, and um, I, usually I like to have tea. So I like to have green tea. Um, I found is like a really great energizer, and I know there's a lot of benefits to drinking green tea. So that's that's definitely my go to green tea. Um, and, uh, maybe it's a mixture like a green tea, coconut or green tea and mint or something, you know, or maybe it's just the straight green tea. And then recently I've gotten into making chia seed pudding. Mm. Um, and so, and which has been really fun. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of watching YouTube channels to get new ideas about recipes, particularly vegan or, you know, those types of recipes, but others as well. Um, And so my mission this year is to get back to, because I feel like I had slid off this for a bit. I mean, before I moved abroad, I moved abroad to Europe about in 2016, exactly. And so um, ever since then, I kind of I started to fall off a little bit with the vegan with, you know, just experimenting with all these different types of foods. Because, again, when you pick up and you go somewhere, you don't know where you can find certain things, what supermarket has this, that, that, the other. So you're really having to adjust when you do that. And so um, I had kind of stopped for a while. And then when I discovered exactly where everything was, I did go on like a one month vegan only uh, deal, etc. So this year, I wanted to get back to some of those routes. So next month, I do plan to do, uh, I, for some reason, I love to do it in February. I don't know what's <laughs> up with that. But February, February will be my month where I will go on and like an all vegan type of ride. Um, But for now, so I'm kind of easing myself into that by starting to look at recipes and experiment with a little thing here, a little thing there. So now I've made this, been making this amazing chocolate chia seed pudding with like coconut flakes, which I'm super in love with. Um, So that's been like a a breakfast that I'll have. And then I, you know, start working around 9.00 And, um, yeah, so it's kind of working, working until about one and then, um, I'll, that includes some planning. So I do some synchronous and some asynchronous. Uh, I mean, you know, I set up asynchronous activities, then I set up, uh, you know, then I have like a synchronous uh, class with the students. And um, then it's okay, well, now it's time for my lunch. And I realized because it's all trial and error. So one day I had kind of a heavy lunch. And I was like, Oh, my God, this is terrible. Now I just feel so loaded down. And like, I want to <laughs> take a nap. <laughs> like, I was like, I will not. do this again. Okay. I was like, let's have a light lunch because this is what I used to do anyway when I was uh, actually working on the outside is make sure I had like a salad, something light that I was taking with me. And, you know, and now I'm like, okay, great. I think I had some leftover thing that was just (laughs) insane. So... Um, my lasagna. That's right. I had made a lasagna and I had a leftover of that. And I was like, oh my God, I want to go to sleep. So now it's like, let's make sure I have something light. And um, I found this amazing like miso soup broth at Trader Joe's that I chop up a little bit of uh, tofu in that and just season it a little bit. And it's like perfect. It's a perfect, you know, little lunch. And then, you know, if it's, it's, I want some a little more, maybe I'll do some vegetarian spring rolls that I found there that are easy to kind kind of like throw into the mix. Um, And then of course I go back to my salads because I'm a big, big fan of making different types of salads. And I want to say a lot later in the evening, um, you know, I'll make... I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like my day and what I'm doing in the middle of that. Then, um, you know, I'll work on, I'm trying to develop my own um, business school, business English school. And so working on a website for that. Um, and then I'm also on the board of New York State TESOL um, as the vice president of the conference space. Well, actually I'm a VP conference elect. So right now I'm spending Time with the board and kind of learning the ins and outs of uh, of developing um, mm-hmm. a conference. Um, And so what I end up doing is kind of making sure that I have set aside our pockets within the day to make sure I'm doing something other than um, university related work, because I really need to keep that going. (laughs) So um, I set aside hours to kind of do that in between, you know, making a meal here, maybe running an errand lately, it's been very important as well for me to make sure that I get get out and get fresh air. Um, so as often as possible, you know, I try to make sure that I do that um, as well, somewhere in the middle I of the day. I love all of
1: that because one of the things that I do tend to, to learn about some of the people that I'm interviewing as well is what we call like the non-negotiables. And you and I have had plenty of discussions of um, your you know, however many day challenges in a row of keeping you on track for something or getting you to commit to something or, or allowing you to maybe detach from something to allow you to have more productivity and time for yourself. So I'm really always so very impressed in your discipline and the uh, miracle morning that you mentioned before, just as an FYI, I will link in this episode. Cause that's from hell, Hal Elrod, who um was who a fantastic mm-hmm. story. And the miracle morning is one of many different kinds of ways that you can uh, apply these Uh, moments to set yourself up for the day and allow yourself to reflect on things and make sure that you get those things that are priority, that we tend to sometimes let things fall off, like the exercising or like the eating well, or like, or well, eating is not part of that discussion, but the meditation, the visualization, like, you know, really getting yourself in the, in the zone of seeing yourself in a successful day moment, allowing yourself to visualize your goals, so I really appreciate you sharing all of that with our listeners as well. yes me and I, I I mean like I said, I know you and I have had this ride together for quite some time, but it 's always so nice to hear your your explanation of how it is to people who might not know you as well as I do. This is so nice. Is there anything that we didn 't maybe add that you want to cover, and is there anything that people keep can keep an eye out for? I know, you and I had conversations about social media. I'm very uh, crazy in the weeds in social media and you have dipped your toe in and out every now and then. So can people find you online publicly if they want to learn more about what you do, who you are, or if they aren't interested in the ESL, EFL program or process or, you know, whatever, whether they want to learn how to, how to uh, speak or learn how to teach.
0: I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, basically under my name. Um, as I said, I'm in the process right now mm-hmm. of developing uh, my own business English um, school. And so once that has been fully is fully up and running, I will be able to provide you definitely with lots of information on that. Um, But yes, that is that is still in development. Um, So right now, if anyone wanted to reach out or ask me any questions, I'm definitely on Facebook just under my name, um, which is Yasmeen Coaxum. And I'm also on LinkedIn. uh, under my name. And you are very pretty, you're
1: pretty active on LinkedIn, too. I I often tell I work with a lot of students students interns volunteers and so on that i say to them linkedin is a very untapped resource sometimes for some of the quote unquote younger generation i it's very business related obviously it's not as social as a lot of other social media platforms that are quite popular like instagram but they but they're starting. i was going to but say they're, they're, kind they're kind so of, yeah. they're ramping up their features and i i have mm-hmm. had opportunities offered to me, I've landed two jobs and like contract work from LinkedIn, because the fun thing about that is it does tell you who is in your network and who might be able to put you in touch with somebody else. And that's what we were kind of going back full circle to our first uh, conversation from earlier about tying in networking, building a, a group of community people who could help you move through your own process, move through your own goals. And then you also could provide back something to them. So you and I have often talked about setting aside time of reaching out to people, checking in on people, making sure that we're keeping in contact with our network to make sure that they know we didn't forget about them. And this is what I'm doing. What are you doing? And let's keep that conversation going. And I think it's so much easier to do that on a forum like LinkedIn that I don't really see any other platforms being like that. Uh, so I, I, love, I love this whole conversation. So uh, as we are wrapping up, you gave us a little bit of insight, obviously, of a, a day in the life of you as far as food is concerned, but specifically today, what is on your quote-unquote plate, literal and figurative? We are currently mid-morning-ish. Are you going to be eating any of those yummy, delicious Japanese things you talked about? And, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then it's also <laughs> a wish. Friday when we're recording this. So how, is, how are you wrapping up your week? So tell us a little bit about what's in store for you in the next, you know, the rest of the hours that are following us right
0: now quite frankly as soon as we uh get off of this call i'm going to go and um go shopping so i'm going to pick first i'm going to pick up um a book Mm. that was sent to me so you know whereas um before i mean for school for a university so whereas before you could just you know grab a book from you know your director of the program or something or you could oh just go downstairs to the bookstore whatever it was okay and you could get a book now you know it's about if you are choosing to use the physical uh books then they're going to need to be sent to you so I'm going to be um you know going to pick that up at some UPS access point so nothing exciting there (laughs) um and then um after that I am planning to make a little something something for lunch I believe um I am going to finish um painting my bedroom yes actually so (laughs) that's right um Uh, Yeah, so that is a plan that I have for today. Oh, and there's a couple of proposals um, that I would like to kind of get get ready for. So, um, you know, this past year, I presented about eight times, I believe, um, in eight different events in my field. And I would like to keep up um, my presence in terms of uh, presentations in my field. And so there are a couple of... um, uh, proposals that are open mm-hmm. right now that I would like to kind of, you know, throw my, my hat in a ring for. So I will be kind of putting some thought and some structure into that and just, yeah, just general uh, preparation for, um, the week coming in terms of a, a new class that I've just, uh, that's just been added to my roster been added. Um, right. and, and um, <laughs> that uh, I will be kind of putting together a, a syllabus for uh,
1: over the weekend. And I, yeah, I mean, that that's pretty much it. Well, that's pretty much friend, it. My <laughs> friend, you know how much I absolutely adore you. I'm completely impressed by you. You, you innovate and inspire me. And I am so grateful that we cross paths on that, not so random occasion. As you know, we don't believe in coincidence, you and I. So I'm really happy that not only did I meet you, but that we've remained close friends. And and I cannot thank you enough for finally having an opportunity to talk to you about this and sharing you with the millions and millions of people who are listening to my podcast which i hope is actually happening i don't know i'll check the analytics (laughs) later might be less than might be less than a million um but now i get to share with the world and i'm very (laughs) excited for all the things that have come your way that continue to come your way the future you who is just going to do such great things i'm so so uh, pleased and grateful and honored to be in your life and have you in mine as well so thank you very much for spending time with me Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Dish with Dina podcast. I am Dina D'Alessandro, registered dietitian, nutritionist, founder, and chief executive life changer at Dish with Dina. And I'm also your host. If you like what you heard, I would be so grateful if you could subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and share this with others who you think might benefit from what we have to offer on these episodes. You can also join my mailing list at dishwithdina.com or email me at info at with questions, comments, feedback, and if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode because everybody eats and we all have a story to share. I hope you tune back in next week when we dish again.
0: Okay, Empowerers, we hope that you've enjoyed this special treat. Join us next week where we will recap all that we've discussed in Season 2 of the Empowerment Session and give you a little sneak peek about Season 3.